The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with Sondra Bernstein and our woman of the world, Kathleen Hill, food critic, food writer, food historian, and world traveler. I hope to live up to that. <laughs> you already have. <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> and we've got a great show for you today. We've got Marcus Benedetti from... Now, is it just Clover now, or is it Clover Stornetta still? What What is proper? Clover Sonoma. Um, Clover Sonoma. a big move for us, okay. but we wanted everyone to understand where uh, the best milk in the world came from, and that's right here in Sonoma County. All right. That's a, a little rebranding. Yeah, a little yeah. rebranding from the folksy Clover Stornetta. A little easier to digest, too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, I grew up in Petaluma, so I, you know, grew up with Clover. I think as even as kids in elementary school, I think we took a field trip to, to a dairy. And I, I think it was the first time that I had chocolate milk. So I was, I was sold. Very cool. <laughs> do you do family. that? Do you give chocolate milk to the kids? We, uh, so our, the biggest thing we do, in fact, it's happening right now. It's a tradition. One of my first jobs was uh, giving away the ice cream at the fairs, uh, scooping yep. ice cream. So uh-huh. that's a tradition that's been, I think, I bet everybody remembers you. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard work. Boy, those lines get long and people get anxious for their ice cream. And it's hot. And, and, it's and is, hot. That, you have, yep. is that how you pay your dues to move up in the company? Yeah, you had to start somewhere. Actually, um, Clo the Cow was my first job. And I think I've logged <gasps> more hours as Clo than anybody. Wow. In the history Whole outfit of and everything. And speaking of heat, when you're walking in the Rose Parade in downtown Santa Rosa for 20 minutes, there, there are fans, oh. but... Um, There's fans inside the outfit? That's what inflates the outfit, but they don't do much for the AC. They're not air Do you lose weight? I want to wear that thing. You definitely, you definitely sweat it out. You don't want to be the last person. You want to be the first person. Of the day or of ever. That's right. Your own personal sauna. Yeah. Wow. The the biggest downside of being Clo are when the kids constantly throughout the day kick you, pull your tail, harass you, and Clo can't outwardly fight back, right? But you can lull them into shaking your hoof, and then you can put the squeeze on them and teach them a lesson. So this sounds like the ultimate family corporate test. It's the rite of passage. Can you you do Clo for hours and hours and hours? Oh, I love it. (laughs) What were you, about 15 then? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. 14, 15, After that, they couldn't force you. No, family slave labor is, I think, immune to all the labor (laughs) laws. (laughs) Do Do you have kids? We have three. Are any of them doing the clo yet? Uh, my, not clo yet, but my oldest just started scooping ice cream at oh, the Petaluma Fair. So that's great. Did the, are your kids the ones that did the clo and mo video? Not our kids. No. Okay. Not Have you no, seen that video? No. It's a. It's um. It's you can get it online. Just just go to clo and mo, and it's a, it's the story of two cows, one named clo and one named mo, and one goes to a family farm, and the other one goes down. To Southern California to a factory farm and they write letters to each other about what's going on in their life and Mo is not happy at all and Chloe is very happy and it was done by kids it's got little they just have little drawings that they did and it's about a I don't know two and a half minute uh, that's, video that's, you're kidding that's yeah, fascinating that's really fun. It. oh it's super cute wow yeah, I if like I knew something. how to get it on the screen I would but I don't so, so. happy cows and unhappy cows yeah. right yeah happy yeah. cows being from Sonoma County Yes. Correct. Did you guys create that? 
Uh, we did not create happy cows, but on a serious note, it, it is so true. I mean, the reality is <laughs> cows that are dotted on the, the landscape of West Sonoma, West Marin County, um, with a cool temperate, you know, marine environment from the Pacific Ocean with rolling hills, you know, they want muscle tone. They want to be out just like we do. They're no different. And to be confined in a factory in the Central Valley of California, where it's so it's 100 sad. degrees, it's yeah. just a tale of two totally different philosophies. Yeah. yeah. Are they competing in muscle tone just like people? They want to be out. They want to move. They literally <laughs> do. I, I don't know if they size each other up but they, yeah. but they're not they're not putting on little headbands and doing a little workout yeah. out in it. no no tinder between the two areas there no right. cows going hey i want you well, they're sticking I, to sonoma cows right yeah i, I don't know about <laughs> that well can we can we talk about the history of of the company which i think you know goes back to 1916 i believe right when it was the petaluma cooperative creamery correct that's right yeah good knowledge i mean people it's easy to forget that dairy was the number one agricultural commodity more more than turkey farms then more than turkey or chickens chickens? well i I said chickens were the original you're right as i understand it the um incubator was hatched in (laughs) in petaluma and petaluma was the egg basket for the world Right. Uh, for sure. And then it gave way to dairy, and now it's given way to wine, to grapes. Yeah. But there were over 400 dairy families wow. um, back at the you know turn of the century. They came from mostly places like Portugal and Italy and Ireland, and they came up the Petaluma River, and they just realized that this climate was so similar to their climates back home, huh. um, and that's where they started. That's by the way, I have Petaluma Creamery Co-op Creamery milk cans. You do wow. like the original ones? Yes. Oh my God, they must be worth a fortune. Two or three of them. I don't know. I have to. They are cool. Think I love so. to see but them. I love the history bit of it. You know, in the families. That's what Romberg. That's the name I was trying to think of. Oh, that's Alan's family. Yeah, Romberg Dairy yes, was on Arnold Alan, Drive. That's and, Alan, our shipping guy. Oh really? That's Alan's Big family. Alan. Yes. Yeah, he's That's off. To, Mondays are his day off. Otherwise, yeah. he can call. He's on. He's right. He's a land baron, and so he just comes to do his warehouse job for a few days a week, few oh. hours, because he likes staff meal. Because he loves. But Sandra. he's a dairy family. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The Romberg, seriously. So even Paul's Produce is out there on their yeah. property, and yes. yeah, yes. they always encourage farming, and yeah. yeah. Wow. So. Um, so I mean. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, so 400 dairies and co-ops that all would bring their milk? So they knew how to do make milk really well. They did not know how to sell it and get it to market. And so they collectively built a major processing facility in Petaluma and called it the Petaluma Cooperative Creamery, collectively owned by the dairy families, but they always had professional management run it. My grandfather, who... Uh, was the captain of a LTC in World War II, uh, participated in every invasion, uh, Salerno, um, all the way through Normandy. Uh, Part of that greatest generation came home and just wanted to completely forget that and start a life. 
he uh, was a son of Italian immigrants that grew up in Katati. The general manager of the co-op at the time knew him, knew he spoke Italian. And back then, there are a lot of Italian-only speaking dairies. And so they recruited Gene, my grandfather, to be the, the field rep, to go out and call on the different dairies. And they saw his leadership qualities, and they eventually kind of groomed him to succeed. And he became the general manager of the Petaluma Cooperative Creamery. And they mostly took all that milk from those farms and turned it into butter and powder. It's a great way by which they could export and move all that raw product and extend the shelf life and find a home for it in San Francisco and kind of throughout the West at the time. They did have a small part of the business, which was the the fluid milk line in the old paperboard packaging called Clover Milk. The largest fire in Petaluma's history burned down that part of the plant under my grandfather's watch. The board didn't want to reinvest back in the fluid milk bottling line. And Gene asked him at that time, could he buy the Clover brand name and take on that part of the business? They agreed. He did. And that's really how Clover was formed in 1977. Where Um, was that original plant? The, it's still in operation today, still making butter and still making powder. Uh, it's owned by Larry Peters, a uh, Petaluma resident. It's mm-hmm. on English Street in downtown Petaluma and still operating much in the oh. same way as it did back in the 50s. Is that right so down the... Petaluma cheese, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is it right down the street from where Deschmier restaurant exactly. was? Exactly. Okay. Right next to Petaluma High. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I used to work yeah. at Deschmier, so I know exactly where that I is. I miss that okay. restaurant. That was, oh, restaurant. That was a know. great restaurant. My parents' favorite. Local Petaluma yeah. restaurant. Yeah. Right. No, it was a great restaurant. Well, and tell me, I didn't know about the, the powder. So there, powder? was it that, that there just wasn't enough consumers locally for the fluid milk for the amount of milk that they were bringing in. So that was one way for them to sell it was to turn it into powder that people could then, well, you just, what I, would they I, do with it? Yeah. Well, so it, I mean, powder is used in everything. It's an ingredient in crackers. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at most of your labels, it'll say dry milk powder, uh, right. essentially. So a major ingredient, not kind of the, what you're thinking, maybe like the canned powder that you mix it with water and drink right, milk. Right. Not so much that, more as a, an ingredient. Mm-hmm. And why sure. is it added to a lot of things? Um, you know, it's a good question. It gives it, um, it provides texture, protein. Um, just look at your labels. I mean, really most processed food actually has powder, dry, mm-hmm. dry milk concentrate. Wow, interesting. Wow. So what's Larry Peters' relationship to you guys? Uh, no relationship. Gotten to know him um, through business, and um, he, you know, he, it's he's such a great asset for the local dairy industry. You know, without all the support structures, um, it's hard to continue to operate. It's a it's a pretty extensive ecosystem of you know hay haulers and growers, and you know, and then where do you take your local milk to get? finished and Larry's kind of a key key piece in that whole thing doing powder and and butter and cheese like the old co-op so what do you get so we we buy we have a relationship you know we talked about those farmers and when they came here we have uh you've probably heard of McClure Beach in Point Reyes National Seashore and Kehoe Beach 
well, the McClure Dairy and the Kehoe Dairy are representative of the dairies that we work with. You know, they're five generations on that same ranch, which is pretty remarkable. We have 32 um, family farms that are similar to theirs, all Sonoma, West Marin, one up in Humboldt County um, that we've worked with. And it's been a really dynamic relationship. Our our whole reason for being, if you will, is to try to reconnect the American farmer back to the consumer that otherwise thinks milk comes out of a package. And, And to do that, you have to be very, very open and very naked with what you do and how you do it and the things that we've tackled with our family farms that can be frankly more proud of going back to say no to bst when my dad was at the helm you know to the growth hormones the growth hormones it wasn't good for the cow wasn't good for the economics of the dairies wasn't good for consumer at least we didn't think Mm -hmm. that consumers well let's tell people in case they don't know that there was a way for you to you know, in, inject the cows with growth hormones that would stimulate more milk production. So in essence, you could be getting more milk and getting more money and, and precisely right. And, yeah. But not a natural occurring thing in any way. <laughs> and nobody was asking those questions. You know, what is the long-term health of the cow? Right. Is it even good for the economics of the dairy families? Because once you overproduce milk, prices come crashing down. Right. The whole thing just seemed like a train wreck, but the most disconcerting thing from what I recall, is that nobody was having a conversation with the American consumer. Nobody was even saying, hey, here's an option. This is the science behind it. It was just, you know, expected to get flushed into the industry and nobody would know any different. It was right. crazy. But when we, when we said no, and more importantly, when our dairy families philosophically said no, and we started having that conversation with folks, it was like pulling out the last finger of the dam of consumer frustration in terms of their food system. And their point to us was, well, that's great, Clover. You, you gave us a, a, an alternative to not having growth hormones in our milk. But what about the economics for the farmer family? What about how is the land being treated that produces this product? How is the central cast in this whole equation, the cow being treated that produces this product? And, and their point was, Clover, if you're really going to garner our trust, you got to go all in, game on. And that was liberating for us because going back to the history, my grandfather started it. He had to take out a second mortgage on his home, as did his partners that were, you know, worked with him at the co-op when they formed the partnership. They all took out second mortgages on their home. So they started mm-hmm. the, the smallest worst capitalized and the lowest margin business that they could ever start a business in. And back then you won or lost based on who could sell the cheapest gallon of milk. If you went in a retailer and said, Hey, I'll give this to you for two cents cheaper. You got the business Uh and the big were poised to really compete that way. Well, we certainly weren't. And so that was a, (laughs) You know, so then we were able to take a totally different approach and say, we're actually just going to really listen to what consumers want. It was so basic. So was this a generational discovery kind of that your generation or the one just before you? That's a really good point. You know, my grandfather, being the generation he was, um, you know, was the establishment in those trying times during the Vietnam War. My dad was a very different generation. He was you know, in the marches, um, had an amazing intuitive sense in terms of 
what motivated people, what they wanted. And for him, it was, it was so basic. It's like, talk to people. What, what do they want in anything? And in our case, in milk, what are they, what are their hopes? What are their concerns? What are their aspirations? And can we create a different experiment? And, and he did it, not, not me. My grandfather started it, but my dad really, really earned the trust. And at the end of the day, you know, for us, it's such a perishable commodity trust, but he started it. He earned it. I feel it's my obligation not to ding it. And grow it and, and bring more yeah. people in, bring more dairy families in that can benefit and turn more people onto the brand. So, yeah, it's not to ding it and it's to scale it, because if you believe mm-hmm. in it, make it bigger and extend it to more people. You know, we used to have around Sonoma County, um, dairy farmers would have a sign at the road saying what dairy they were growing for or selling to. Some still do. Some do, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of faded. (laughs) On Bonnest Road, there's one or two that I think are your... That's right, yeah, there's on ours, there'll be a big clue will be there, of course, and and Mm -hmm. the family name of the the dairy. Yeah. Yeah, no longer Safeway, I don't see that anymore. Not too many. Yeah. 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 And that goes back to how do you communicate them and who they are and what they do back to well, people who do you communicate they, with? See, yeah. you, you're people, people on the spot as a family. Yeah. You know, historically, just to be trivia, um, in France and England, there was overproduction in one place and lack of production in the other. And that's what led to the creation of so many great cheeses in France. They had to find a way to use the milk. And I don't mean goat milk, because that was pre, but cow's milk. And then, and then Welsh rarebit was, in, was uh, developed, which my friends in England called cheese on bread. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or cheese on toast. Right. It's no yeah, ra- no as a way to, when they had an overabundance, to use milk. And it's interesting that... Um, you mean you mentioned overproduction a while ago, and this was a case of nobody regulating anything. And and but climate changes then limited what cows could produce at times, and they died off from various things. And it's an interesting flow around the world, I guess. Um, of course, not including countries that I do do. Uh, I mean, a lot of vegetarians don't eat or drink milk products either, right? Or vegans, I guess. Vegans would be in a no, country. But, um, yeah. but vegetarians, a lot of them, will, sure, will have milk and eggs and cheese yeah. and sure. Yeah. But yeah, you, brought, so. you brought up that point that, you know, the cows make milk every day, 365 And they hurt if they day. don't get milked. They want, milk. they definitely do. But then the timer starts. It's the most, one of the most perishable products on earth, to your point. And how do you always on any given day or any given year match the demand to the supply and and weather factors when it gets really hot you'll see production go down um so it, it can vary like that wait was production goes down when the weather's hot so when the, the cows don't produce as much milk when it's hot that's right cows overheat and stress in the heat imagine huh. being a cow in the heat well that sounds awful yeah I, horrible I, I don't know. I see cows. You know, my favorite, my favorite 
one of my favorite spots on the world is uh, it, driving on 101 between Novato and Petaluma and just looking at the rolling green hills and you see the, the, the black and white cows. Up, Oreo, and I think, yeah, Oreo and I'm cows. thinking, yeah. what a great life. I mean, look, they have, the, it looks like God's golf course. I mean, it's just beautifully shaped. But you can't take off your shaped. fur coat when it's hot. They That's don't really have a fur coat. <laughs> have you ever been around a cow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, but I, I imagine the ones out at uh, Tamales or Two Rock, maybe they're a little bit happier because they get that cool breeze coming yeah. in from the ocean. But how, how many families do you have currently that are uh, producing milk for you 32 32 yeah and that's that's not only enough to so you're producing milk for um sonoma county but you're going as far as as far as i know colorado right with um you have a relationship with whole foods so you've got some products in whole, and is that as far as you go or does the milk make it further uh, across the country it um for us most of all of our um our revenue or sales are, are Northern California, right. the vast majority, um, still very local. In fact, I always joke, if you picked um, up one product to, to scale geographically, milk would be the worst because it only has 18 days, fresh coat on it, has to be refrigerated, weighs a lot. Um, and so to transport it realistically for us, the, about as far east as we go with fresh milk would be Jackson Hole, uh, Wyoming. Okay. Um, some of the products, like the cultured products, yogurt and things that have a longer shelf life can travel farther, mm -hmm. easier. Um, the craziest scenario, believe it or not, an exporter approached us and said, can we take your organic quarts of milk and air freight them to um, Hong Kong and uh, Taiwan and Singapore? And we thought, well, if, if you're going to figure it out, great. But <laughs> Right. And so you can buy organic quartz of clover milk in a couple of countries wow. so wow. which ones so, i mean can you actually you um I, I know i mean to put you on the spot <laughs> yeah i know singapore for sure hong kong um and i believe taiwan as well wow yeah well let's talk about what goes on on these family farms that's different from typical factory farming that people would think of in the middle of the country i think Fundamental to who they are is the reality that they love to do what they do, number one. It's a lifestyle and it's an identity as much as it is an occupation for them. It's all wound up in one and wound up within the fabric of who they are as a family. Um, very different than engaging in dairy production as just a means of money. Um, for them, it's much more. It's their history. It's like I said, it's really who they are and they take a tremendous amount of pride in what they do and how they do it. And beyond all that, they have a genu genuine um, love for their animals. Um, and I've never seen an example to the contrary of that with, with any of our, our folks. They're just completely invested in what they do and how they do it. They're very, very open-minded and pioneering and willing to look at changing the status quo if they think that there's <clears> merit in doing it. When the American Humane Association from Washington, D.C., the oldest animal welfare organization, heard about our stance against BST, they kind of thought that they had a potential maverick dairy that would be looking to doing something so crazy and that's established animal welfare standards. Um, this goes back to 2001. They had them for swine and um, a couple other, uh, but they didn't have it for dairy. 
And so literally their scientific community came and around the course of weeks and months and the, around the dining room tables and in the kitchens of our dairy families, we hashed out animal welfare standards for, for dairy. Mm. It's called their free farm certification. We happen to be the first, but the good news is that there's now a third party standard that others will hopefully um, want to comply with as well. Right. So they're just amazing people. Um, my son, you know, people always ask, would any of my kids want to get involved in, in Clover? And he shows very little interest in Clover, but has so much interest in the dairy side. And he goes to school with a lot of the dairy families, not just ours, but others. And he seems so drawn towards that lifestyle. The farming and the, and the growing of the cattle and the milking and everything. Right. Wow. Where, where he says the real stuff happens. <laughs> where does he go to school? That's really interesting. He's at Petaluma High. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah all the, I grew up in Petaluma, so I was an East Side kid. So in Petaluma, you got the East Side and the West Side that is literally separated you by railroad tracks. <laughs> I was a I was a La Tercera, Kenilworth, Casa kid, but then went to St. Vincent's for a year. So then I then I got exposed to some of the. I was just speaking with the. Uh, your assistant Danielle. earlier that uh, Danielle that um, yeah I grew up you know with Dulcinis and Antoninis and Gambaninis and um, uh, so and Bettinelli's and the, and yeah. but the west side of Petaluma <laughs> is the old side where it's like on D Street you still have houses that have little yeah. steps from where they used to have horses where you'd pull up and get out so you could step down onto your you know in front of your house I love those but yeah. the east side is completely that's a kind of suburban lifestyle um, and and Sondra and I have talked about this before. My mom used to take us to Cater Farms uh, to get our chicken and eggs. We would go to Bateman's to get our meats. Yeah. And mm. so, yeah, it, and growing up in Petaluma, it's sort of in a little bubble here. And so I think Sonoma County is like that. And we've had some people on the show. We've talked about ethical eating and soy-based um, rice milks, all of those different things. And I think a lot of that energy or anger that comes from factory farming is people that are not growing up in the area that we're growing up in, that it's a little, I, I feel like we're skewed a little bit here because we do grow up with people that have family farms that are doing things in a different way. And I, I mean, ultimately, I guess the ideal thing would be that everyone had their own little piece of land that had their own pig, chicken, cow, uh, goat, um, you were raising, That's how you know, the you United had a, States started. you had a garden, but it's just not like that anymore. Yeah. So I, you know, I love growing up in this area where you actually know the people that are farming and where the milk is coming from, where the eggs are coming from. It's just a different thing here, uh, in Sonoma County. It so, is. so I grew up in Berkeley where we drank Berkeley farms milk who's saying was farms in Berkeley. Well, we all knew there weren't any farms in Berkeley, except that my McKelligan grandfather had chickens in the backyard. That was the <laughs> closest, probably three of them. And so where in the world did they get milk? And did they become part of Clover? Or what happened to them? They Berkeley Farms used to be really fierce competitors. The Sabati family, a multi-generational family, um, owned Berkeley Farms. But them, not unlike most branded dairies, would buy their milk from the co-op because, again, back to that. Petaluma co-op? Um, 
mostly, probably. <laughs> uh, probably not. Mostly like the big, you know, dairy farmers of America um, type of co-op, mostly probably from the Central Valley. But that's how most processors did it because it's called balancing is our inside industry term. But back to our conversation earlier about supply and demand never being an equilibrium. When you buy from a co-op, it's really convenient because you just pick up the phone and say, this is how much I need tomorrow to make my products. The problem is you don't know where that milk came from, right. what the quality is. You really don't know anything about it, no traceability at all. Our model is the opposite. It's very inefficient because we have to balance the milk and we can't tell a dairy family, hey, produce less tomorrow. It just <laughs> doesn't work that way. So we're always what we call long. We have more milk than what we need hmm. because yeah. we need to maintain the integrity of our, you know, what's in our marketing and that's where it comes from, the quality, the animal welfare component, all that. So it, it gets tricky. Um, but you know, it's funny, it's come full circle back to what you're just describing. My great grandparents, I remember my grandfather telling me the story, he and his uh, older brother who was uh, killed in action in, as a marine aviator in Guadalcanal, World War II, but when they were both at University of San Francisco together um, playing football, uh, they would always bring literally their whole football team up to Noni and Nono's, uh, Pia and Jacondo's ranch. And uh, for those of you listening, I'm using quotation marks because the ranch wasn't more than, I don't think, 25 acres. But on that ranch, they had what you just described, pigs, chickens, cows, grapes, and so the football team during the depression came up, they, they thought that they were eating like kings because they would have right. homemade all wine and of other stuff. things yeah. and all this fresh stuff. And they knew how to wow. process all that stuff with their hands and debone a chicken and make wine from the grapes. And not that the wine wouldn't literally take the enamel off your teeth because <laughs> right. I think it did, but mm. um, yeah, it's, it's different. And, and dairy, you brought up Berkeley Farms some of you may recall a generation ago every hamlet had their own dairy brand and right. everything was so local and regional you think of peninsula creamery and foremost and newtson and clover mm -hmm. and and i have even smaller ones that are really prove your kind of neighborhood statement that, um, definitely that we've never heard of around here but i mean i've had i'm also a historian from a rin french cheese and in that role, people would come to me because I did exhibits at their festivals or whatever. And you were always there with food mm -hmm. um, for Girl in the Fig. And um, the people would come to me and say, do you have a bottle from blah, blah, dairy, where they grew up? Hmm. They wanted that recollection, that souvenir of, of the milk they drank in whatever little place around the country. And I usually didn't have it. <laughs> and it used to be delivered right to your front doorstep. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. All those it, jokes about the milkman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those aren't really around anymore. I actually have the hook that hung beside my grandmother's back door in Berkeley where the milkman would put his delivery slip, hook it on, you know, so she could keep track of oh, what he left that. and what she owed him, I guess. And the icebox. Right? I don't have that. Oh, the, the little portable icebox left on the front porch yeah. if the milk would go inside. My kids look at my dad crazy when he refers to the refrigerator as the icebox. Yeah. The icebox, yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, what percentage of your 
um, milk is organic? Uh, just about half, um, half organic, half traditional. Um, and that's really been a, a great benefit, not just to, to our dairies, but the other organic dairies in the region. Um, because, you know, conventional milk, it's crazy not to get into all the metrics, but the Chicago Mercantile Exchange determines the price that a California dairy farmer gets paid for milk based on butter futures and all these <laughs> metrics that aren't really relevant to how much it actually costs them to right. produce some right. milk out here. Whereas organics, it's a mutually agreed upon kind of more market driven price between the buyer and the grower of organic milk. And it's, it's always tended to be higher than conventional and it's really provided a, a stable um, living source of income for, for farms because Candidly, conventional farmers are really struggling. Um, we're able to give them a significant premium, but not nearly enough to offset kind of where the, the floor is in conventional pricing. And it's a, it's a existential threat for us is, you know, if conventional dairies can't continue to survive in Northern California, that's where are we going to get our milk? Yeah. Well, have you ever, or do you currently put anything in glass? As far as uh, milk, we haven't. We've always used the uh, the paperboard, right? Like uh, I, you know, people live around here. If you get Strauss, uh, is one of the local um, um, milk producers that that puts things in glass, and then you get it from the store, and then you return the the glass bottle. It's a two dollar deposit that you have, and there is definitely a layer of fat that's on the um, in the bottle when you open up the cap. That you've, I mean, either you can eat it like. <laughs> I've done before or you can kind of mix it in but have you ever thought about doing like an ultra premium milk that is done in uh, glass yeah we've you've thought about it. i you know, i give albert strauss a lot of credit he pioneered a lot of things including putting milk in glass and it creates a really intimate experience when you actually <clears throat> see the product so visibly and um yeah. yeah it's good food for thought we'll have to kick that one around back at the shop okay and uh what percentage of your milk is chocolate milk Ooh, good question. Uh, percentage. That's not. I'm, and where do you get the chocolate from, and who came up with the recipe of how much exactly to put in there? And well, that's a fun job, right? When you get to taste all the all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've really become more conscious about sugar content and everything in our yogurt, mm -hmm. chocolate, everything that's flavored. Um, so don't be surprised if you see a reformulation fairly soon to oh, really bottom out the sugar content. Are you changing into a different type of sugar or just pulling it out completely? No, it will require cocoa certainly and uh -huh. sugar. Um, you know, it's always that tussle between giving kids what they really taste good versus what's good for them. what you really want. The, yeah, nutritionally, yeah. and so. You know, for the school chocolate milk, the state, and I think it was a great policy, had some maximum guidelines for sugar, which is awesome. But I think industry, and specifically we, should lead the way and try to bottom out the sugar content in our chocolate. Mm -hmm. So I um, am on a committee within the Sonoma Unified School District called the Snack Committee. Nobody remembers what the letters stand for. <laughs> and I also have started and have coordinated the school gardens for 10 years, which the school district has just eliminated for petty financial reasons. But anyway, a few years ago, the snack committee voted to eliminate chocolate milk 
from uh, the schools. And we had huge protests from <laughs> parents who said that only way they could get milk down their kids was through chocolate milk. Yeah, I, that's a great point because what are they going to be drinking? You know, is it going to be soda? Is it going to be juice? Is it going to be, how are they going to get that, that nutrient content? You have to deal with the, you know, the sugar content, but it's no different than the argument which we're really seeing on the, on the plant-based alternative beverages side. And we as an industry have done a horrible job at kind of reasserting the basic reason why people started drinking milk in the first place. And that's because it is the irreplaceable superfood. If you think about it, McGill University finally conducted a study that demonstrated all of the other substitutes that you would have to ingest to get the same nutrient and vitamin content that you get in an eight ounce glass of milk. And people say, well, chocolate milk aside, milk naturally has sugars in it, and it does. And it's a combination of sugars, fat, and the, the nutrients and the vitamins that provide the efficient delivery system for the body to ingest those vitamins and nutrients. And you'd be astounded. I wish I had a graph to show you know, all the folks listening out there, but the amount of substitutes that you would have to ingest to get that same eight ounce glass. Now, maybe you don't like the taste of it. We'll just power it down and deal with it. Otherwise, you have to eat all these other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I also want to thank you and your company for um, when we had a, we needed smaller cartons of milk for schools that you came up with a smaller carton very quickly, hmm. much quicker than we thought anyone could. And I can't remember why we needed smaller ones, but there was a lot of waste, I guess. People, kids were just finishing the half pint or whatever. So thank you. No, I'm <laughs> glad we're, I, and thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, it's always ironic to me that the institutions that are frankly offering foods that <laughs> leave a lot to be desired are the people that arguably need the best food the most. And I'm talking about hospitals and schools. Hmm. Right. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, <laughs> and here we have in our district, the, the cost of the school gardens in nine public schools was $16,200 per year. For each school or total? Total. That's $1,800 a month to, I mean, a year to each of our school garden coordinators, 1800 a month times nine. Is that the total amount of money they need? Yeah. I think we could raise that money. I would like to. They have just this week, last week, told me that we could go ahead with the gardens if I can raise the money. We can, we can totally find a way to raise the money. Okay, great. Um, but, but kid you remember we some i guess in this room we remember jamie oliver in florida with a potato and kids didn't know that's where french fries came from yeah right. And, right. and and we have a um sort of unique population here that hasn't seen a green bean or a zucchini before and they we've they've been learning how where it all comes from to grow it save it cook it and share it with their families you know and and that's just the kind of thing that we need to get back to. Everyone needs to get back to. Absolutely, that's fantastic. And how? Yeah, back to your I idea. Mean, how do we? How do we help in this? Well, effort? we'll we're just we'll we'll come together with something yeah. and kind of put okay. something out because I mean I was just like thinking, wow, we could do a grant, 
you know, for part of it, um, our foundation could. And I'm sure we could do a GoFundMe because God knows there's a lot yeah. of GoFundMe's that, you know, we're out there. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. We, we could reach out and ask, you know. Yeah, I had been thinking about a, a, an adopt-a-school garden program. If a person wanted to give 2000 per school per year or something. I mean, it's... The, it's all it, women it's garden so coordinators. It's so silly to me. That's not even it's like saying $100,000. They, it's the first program they cut. Yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah. And and truly, I mean, the kids need to learn how to grow their own food. I mean, I again, I believe it's going to be in Abby's years that she's going to need to teach her kids when she has kids, Ryan's daughter, how to have a garden, how to grow a tomato, how to have an ear of corn maybe how to have chickens with eggs. I mean, because we don't, it's scary. And the other thing I, I wanted to bring up, it's not on that, but as far as communication, the there's so much information out there. You know, we grew up with milk every single day. We had milk with breakfast. We had milk with dinner. We probably had milk at school. Um, and I'm from Philadelphia, and so we had the Amish farms, we had um, dairies, I'm trying, we had Wawa. <laughs> Wawa was a big, um, I don't even know if they were really a farm or a dairy. But, um, you know, and over the years, there's more and more information about how we're not supposed to be drinking milk. That milk is not really good for you, that you you know, or cow's milk. And then no different than, you know, them telling us that, you know, gluten-free or too many grains or, or vaccinations. too much sugar or, yeah, all these things. Like the consumer is so confused, like which diets you lose weight on or which ones you don't. And, you know, why eat Greek yogurt that has zero fat versus, you know, full nutrient fat, you know, everything that's balanced. And I think that's the critical thing is that all of our, um, you know, lobbyists are, are fighting for how to bring their business in the light. And so, you know, we're all laymen walking around like, I have no idea what I should drink, what I should eat. And as you can see, all my liquids right here, there's no, there's actually almond milk in my latte. Um, but I'll forgive just, you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Just because once. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know why, you know, again, somebody said, Oh, you know, but I mean, we <clears throat> drank, I mean, I had three younger brothers and I think we went through maybe a gallon of milk a day. Probably. We probably went through a gallon a day. I Between the cereal and does. the peanut butter jelly sandwiches and yeah. But it it is confusing and how you create that message. And and now I think you're even up against the plant based companies right. that are trying to give their message across. And, you know, I've listened to some really great shows, like one recently, um, someone else's podcast where they were talking about um you know, the meat industry and people calling these fake plant meats meat and steak. And it's like, they're like, dudes, stop. Because we spent years and years and years calling meat meat. And people, we have a reputation of 
the consumer understands meat or steak as or burger as a product and now these other plant-based things are coming and using those same names and if something happens in a bad way or an experiment gone bad or a recipe gone bad on some of these items that are coming out those bad things can inflate the whole market of what anybody thinks a burger is, whether it has meat or doesn't have meat. And I I would say that the same thing, we shouldn't be calling almond milk almond milk. We should be calling it liquid Drink. almond, you know, or something, or come up with your own name because milk should be milk. I believe that. I'm sure you have thoughts on that. Well, too. you're preaching to the choir here, yeah, or almond juice because really you're extracting yes. and secreting mm-hmm. out... Um, but then the juice industry would be very upset, probably That's true. because <laughs> Minute Maid would know, come after you. Yeah, they'd be like, "You can't call it juice. You yeah. got to come up." People have to make up their own names for things. Yeah, your point is so well taken. I think you you, you just nailed it. Just all of the information, competing information, contradictory information. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, and and all I can say is, I look at it very basically. You know, milk is an ancient food, and over the time that people have been relying on milk, it's also had the opportunity to wither all the scrutiny and criticism of the medical industry forever. And so it's a known, known, if you will, if that makes yes. sense. Whereas a lot of the, the plant-based alternatives, and you know, it's almost like the, the new shiny object that is new and different, but what is it really doing? And you know, I, I say the irreplaceable superfood because without adding something to it or taking something out or both, what has the nutrient-dense, vitamin-packed attributes as milk? Nothing does. Um, well, I'm going to have to trust you on that because you're just you, another person giving sure, me more information. I, I, and, and I'm biased, yeah, obviously, exa- given but, what but I work for. But you understand milk. I but mean, I that's underst- your life. I understand it. If you look at what else has you know, vitamin K, you know, calcium, protein, vitamin D, riboflavin, all those things in it, again, without adding to Right, or without a or, supplemental vitamin. Yeah, it's just that. And so I get it, you know, does it, is there an environmental impact to producing milk? Absolutely. Is, are there social concerns with drinking milk that comes from an animal? Absolutely. I, I get all that, and those are real. And those will ebb and flow over time, given kind of social norms and preferences. But when you just break it down to the bare essence of what nutritional profile exists in that eight-ounce glass without mm-hmm. adding or taking away to it, nothing can compete against it. And we have, you know, as an industry, we have done a horrible job at, you know, communicating that message. We talk about slogans and themes like, you know, got milk and made in California. Those are interesting, but they're missing the real essence of the argument and that's the nutritional profile right probably just made a lot of enemies in the industry sorry sorry folks no i don't think so i think that it's really good and the information flow i mean one a catchy slogan is is important because people will remember i mean i think got milk was one of probably the best campaigns for almost any product. I mean, who can't remember that? How many times has it been imitated? Got this, got that, got no. whatever. Um, but the other part is, is it needs a tagline, you know? So you have it, mm. what do you do with it? 
And in this day and age, I day and age, I really believe it would be nice to know how much is really good for you. And if you are this person, you know, how much is should your daily intake be? I mean, maybe people only need two ounces of milk a day. But if everybody had two ounces of milk, you'd probably go through the same amount of milk that you may be going for the people that are overdoing milk. And like anything else, it's moderation. Um, you know, we're, I'm teasing Brian to no end because he's back to being a vegan again. And it's all about his, um, his body. Well, yeah, it has nothing to do with, with ethical eating ethical or environment. Uh, it's no, just it's, your, it's because I did it for yeah. a month as a challenge and I ended mm-hmm. up losing about nine or 10 pounds and then went four days back on meat binged. But for me, it's different. It's because... And ice cream. It's I mean... Right. But know, this is... For me, what it is, is it's tying cream. my hands behind my back because working in restaurants and cooking... Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I have access to food twenty almost 24 hours a day. Unless I'm sleeping, there is food that is accessible mm-hmm. to me. It's and in your dreams, honey. It is. Those, and, yeah. and especially working at a, at a restaurant, you just... Food is always around. And so I found myself constantly eating if there was some food i could say yes to it and put it in my mouth now i have a stoplight because i've set these boundaries and it's the only thing that i've found recently that is that has helped me go oh no i can't eat that so then i just don't so it's it's basically it's i've given i've stapled my stomach existentially yeah <laughs> philosophically i don't know in some but, way, yeah in some but way it won't last because um no, no i love cheese i love exactly I, cheese is like how could you live without i cheese? love meat i love honoring the animal yes. i love eating it i yes. work for you it's it's uh the, the i mean from people the nose say to tail. why is your food so good and i'm like because we use a lot of dairy we use a lot of cream <laughs> we use a lot of butter we use salt i mean these are the ingredients, all the, good food all the good food groups. I mean, but again, moderation. You know, you can't eat flounder and butter sauce every single day. Yeah. But that's can't. my favorite on your I, menu. I know. <laughs> but what that's I've seen, you know, take it off. What, what was interesting, though, in doing this, this challenge and, and continuing to do it right now is that I've seen the growth of the plant-based industry and I'm seeing it in the stores and I'm seeing, the, I'm seeing them take over more real estate and more products. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see how people like the milk industry will respond to, they're going to get, they're, they're getting, uh, they're moving in a little bit on your turf. It's scary. And it's also, I mean, it's interesting, but it's also scary because again, the milk industry has been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. And so have plants. But these plant compounds with additives and fake things and whatever, we don't know what is going to come with those. You know, I hope people that are being really responsible, um, you but, know. But marketers are just out to keep their contract right. and sell as much as they can. It's, right. I'm sorry, but it's all about greed. And it, it isn't about what's good for you. And they don't say no. Two ounces of meat is okay, but three right. isn't or something. Right. Well, I mean, it's, look at Oxycontin. I mean, you know, people yeah. that developed, you know, drugs to help people from pain. And now, what, 600,000 people died last year? That yeah. could be wrong, but don't quote me on that, everybody. Yeah, well, we'll fact check that <laughs> fact one. Fact check but, that one. But there was an insane amount that, yeah, that was produced. Yeah, a huge amount. It, and uh, it was yeah. like, so, it was intended to do well, and then it 
went haywire. Yeah. There's well, a lot of things like that. One of like the that. largest segments of the food production industry right now is um, chemists, food chemists. Oh. Yeah. And they're growing and growing. And um, th- their job is to make up phony food. Food, food uh, tech yeah. entrepreneurs. Is the, yeah. yeah, oh, food the, tech entrepreneurs. <laughs> I, I have a story I'm going to have in my column uh, this Friday on SonomaNews.com on fake fish and fake carrots. Wait, fake fish? People will have read it by the time they hear You mean this. like a crab with a K? Like Frankenfish? Frankenfish. Fish made up of other stuff. Um, Just like the burgers, the yeah. non-burgers. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, and now somebody's making things that look like carrots at a fast food place made out of turkey dust sort of but why would why, <laughs> why would you do that you must have known george nicholas oh. and yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure yeah. You, you know for our part you know I, I look at our job like we can't be the victims if, if people no. are consuming things in different patterns you have to ask the obvious question why right and through anecdotal experiences and friends that are millennials, and that's the biggest tidal wave of consumers that we all know and talk mm-hmm. about, they almost say I'm dairy-free as like a badge of courage, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they outwardly um, lay claim to that, and they're very proud you of that. You cut them out of your life right away, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, you're it's, dead to it, me. <laughs> <laughs> and the, those same friends, it was so ironic, they almost had like this deer in the headlight look when they shared the story with me. When they started for the first time having children and they had that first visit with our pediatrician, the pediatrician said, obviously you need to give them sleep and everything else. And the most important thing you can do is give them whole milk. And for them, it was like, wow, that's interesting. And they started researching, well, should I have whole milk? And so I think just from a general trend perspective, you know, once, you know, that, that generation starts really needing to, to do the deep dive in science and nutrition because it's the investment in their children. I think that will change the trend. The other is we have an obligation to, to package it differently, make it more relevant. I mean, who are we to think that we're entitled just to sell every gallon of milk because we have it, because we built, you know, built a processing plant? I mean, we're shifting as a society in terms of when we, how we eat, where we eat, you know, right. the, the nuclear family three squares a day with a gallon of milk in the fridge. That's just not the reality in the, for the most part anymore. No, and none so of how us we package it more portably. Exactly. You can't just go, wow, you know, worked in the 60s anybody. and you, every day is a new day. A, you got to be in there, reinvent yourself, but stick to your core beliefs because you can't, you know, I think it would be weird if you started doing plant-based milk next to regular milk. Right. And you have to stick to your... Absolutely. What you do and know best. And, and innovate and evolve. And the same it's, is said for our dairy families. Like, because they've done it for five generations doesn't mean they can't or shouldn't do it differently in another generation. And so as long as there's an openness and a compact to for us and them to do it together, I feel confident that, you know, we'll, all that I really want to be is a trusted, relevant source of good food produced the right way um, and support that ecosystem and broaden that ecosystem. And I have no more satisfaction in my job than walking in front of the dairy case and getting that tough love from a mom or a dad saying, well, that's great you do this, but how come you don't do this? When I 
first kind of had the the privilege of taking over from my dad, some of our national competitors had the plastic screw cap in their mm-hmm. half gallons. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, we need to grow up and compete with the big guys. And so for us, it wasn't a trivial investment to buy that adapter to, to put that plastic fitment on our half gallons of organic milk. Went out, saw it in the market, felt so proud. And then literally, I'm not exaggerating, the angry calls and letters <laughs> came in by the thousands. Because you put a screw top on? Their point they was, just wanted paper. Clover, how dare you? You're not the company we thought you were. Why would you add more inputs, make it harder right. for us to recycle? You've yep. lost your way. Oh, yep. I mean, it was. and So they're gone. The, the, <laughs> as soon as we could get that <laughs> off, they're gone. I know, personally, I wrote lessons, back to... But- but the beauty was yeah. the connectivity and the tough love is the best thing you can ever have going for you. But but you got to also demonstrate that you're willing to listen to keep right. that tough love right. alive. And wow. so how do you create? So how do you? So what's the strategy? I mean, do you bring in like think tank people, or do you just like sit down with all the dairies and say, hey, how do we get back to basics, or how are we? I mean. Yeah, it's fascinating. You can have all the think tanks in the world and you can mine all the data in the world. And at the end of the day, I don't think there's any better substitute than getting out and talking to people and really mixing it up because you'll get an answer from a focus group. You know, you'll get Mm -hmm. an answer polling people. But unless you're willing to really mix it up with the people that matter and really those are moms and dads and, and consumers you're just scratching, scratching the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. otherwise. But you'll get a pretty informed kind of... And then you also have to rely on your own instincts and gut because you can react to what people tell you or you can lead. And, mm-hmm. and there's a fine line between the two, right? If you lead, you're, you're not always going to get it right. right. If you're merely reacting, there's nothing really special there too. So it's... I know it's kind of a cop out of an answer, but that just that's those well. It sounds like their 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 think tank, their focus group is the consumer. So they listen to the consumer. That's a perfect example with that with the plastic top. Now I have a question: Why can't you open it from either side? Why does it have to be that one side is the one you open? Because some open both sides. Do you? Yeah, I can't. Why? Wait oh, a minute. You open the entire. Really? You open the entire thing. Well, I don't know if it's exactly the clover half gallon, but I mean, I have absolutely like growing up. We always open. I didn't want to drink out of the carton of the same side my brothers drank out, <laughs> so I would open the other side of the carton. So the, then, how did doable. you close it? Then you just close it. You just you know, it, the milk didn't last very did long you mark in our your house. Side of the carton. <laughs> I knew which side. <laughs> The the wrong side. side. Yeah. I wasn't getting any cooties from my brothers. Um, Yeah. I don't. Why? Are yours like. No, I just. I just. I just. Just talking about it, I thought, oh, you know, I've done that before where you open up the wrong side. And it's one of those things you teach your kids. It's one of those moments. It's a teaching moment for your children, too, when they learn how to open up the milk, is to look for the one that you're supposed to. The side that you're supposed to open. And that's the side that has just slightly less wax as an adhesive right to be oh. able to open it and so the the half gallons or the quarts or all the paper they come perfectly flat before they go into the filling machine and then the filling machine forms them and and you guys are all welcome i'd love to no, walk it you sounds through. so much fun i love assembly lines and then there's a heater that heats the wax up just enough if it's too much it melts off and doesn't seal if it's not enough it never does seal and i'm talking like within a 
degree or a half a degree. Mm. And so that side that you open up just has slightly less, right. but enough to kind of keep it safe. See, you're weakening. Right. You're not drinking enough milk. I, you have your muscles please. are going <laughs> no it's that sometimes you know in the middle of the night you, uh-huh. your, your vision isn't exactly what it should be and you open up the wrong side and go because ah, then then you just kind of put your finger in because it only makes a little hole and then you start to tear it i'm sure people out there have done this okay i, well, I know a, the plastic screw caps aren't the answer, not Correct. The answer. Yeah. so you. this might be a little controversial but um Anybody from the cannabis industry coming your way, wanting to experiment with hemp extract, and so wow, about a decade ago. Are you proud of me? I didn't expect that. Oh, we started getting all these calls from consumers, mostly in West County. Um, of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no offense, West County. That said my god clover you guys have the best cookies but we can't find them in enough stores and how do we get more you guys make cookies well that was the news to us too oh no Uh, we're wondering wow when did we get in the cookie business (laughs) (laughs) some lovely west county entrepreneurs made from what i've heard these delightful chocolate chip cookies made with clover butter and uh. some extra green spices in the cookies. Uh. And the label was clothe the cow on the top oh. of the plastic cookie. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so we asked them to politely not market their cannabis cookies <laughs> using clove <laughs> the cow. That's great. Which isn't the first time the brand is uh, sabotaged, uh, gotten yeah. into the realm of spirits and um, <laughs> the old Stornetta dairy. Here in Sonoma, back when you could do things a lot differently, in the holidays we'd run a special batch of eggnog, and we'd put uh, yeah, brandy right, right, along right. the eggnog, yeah. and we'd actually package it and bottle it, and we'd segregate it and set it aside. Wow. It's for customers and friends, and well, we got that call from a lovely elderly woman in Napa saying. Why did you discontinue your brandy eggnog? I can't find it anywhere. And you can imagine the QA alarm bells that went off. Well, one of the stacks got in general distribution. Wow. Oh. <laughs> definitely dodged it. She couldn't get through the holidays without it. <laughs> but I mean, someone, you know, butters are coming out, you know, now that laws are changing and different, and there's a lot of people, you know, cooking with it. Yeah, no, I, and I don't judge one way or the other. I just think for kind of clove and and (laughs) everything that people kind of associate with clove and organic milk, it for us would be a bridge too far. This would be kind of not like, like you said, clove going in a plant base. It just wouldn't be who we are. No, I I don't, yeah, I don't disagree. Speaking of butters. Oh yeah, your oh, yeah. new products. Let's yeah, talk new products we, because uh, yeah. this this is the, the one with the cinnamon and sugar is the one that cinnamon and brown sugar yes. because we've talked about this. this I don't know if you were on the show where we talked yes, about it as kids. It was it was definitely. Remember we Kathleen. would have toast and put you'd put butter and then sprinkle sugar and cinnamon. And I told you one time, oh, yes. I always thought cinnamon was, was like this there. great Yum. thing. Um, yeah. But this is going to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's the cinnamon and butter. Uh huh. And this one is garlic and herb. Oh, yeah. Mm. Butter spread. But the herb is mm. not that green stuff from West County. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, how often do you guys put oh out my new God, products? Do you want to taste it? 
sure. spices, oregano, basil. Yeah, who does your, um, like your uh, new product development stuff? Well, we have an amazing, talented marketing team. Uh, Is that yummy? Yeah. <laughs> you want to dip your finger in there? Sure. And we hope this is an example of, you know, what I was talking about earlier, how, how are you relevant now? It's not mm-hmm. always going to be a gallon of milk, but, right. you know, how much time do moms have to make breakfast in the morning? Really, like cinnamon, butter, and toast, like mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're trying to be more I relevant. I can't believe no one thought of that already. It's pretty amazing. Which? That, like in a can. This is cinnamon and brown sugar, yeah. butter spread, and people... You no longer need to mess up the kitchen with yeah. sugar and cinnamon. <laughs> this will do it on toast. Seriously. <laughs> Forget Nutella. And are these out already? Mm-hmm. Uh, they just starting to percolate out wow. in the marketplace. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And w- where are they in the store? I think you'll see them in different places. I definitely usually probably in the butter section, okay. but you'll mm-hmm. probably also see them like in the spice, you know, chilled Yogurt. spices, <laughs> like where, where you see horseradish, like uh-huh. real horseradish. Okay. I've seen them all over actually. That's cool. But these okay. have to be chilled. They do. Yeah. 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 yeah I love it. I'm kind of holding onto the garlic and herb one. You can have that one. I'm going to, I want this one. Okay. Um, what about, do you do anything in your plant that goes through the line three times? Oh, that's a good question. Like, do you do any custard or... We don't. Pudding? We don't. No tapioca? No. Uh, Although I love tapioca. I like love tapioca, but that is made. my serious downfall. Cozy Shack. Yeah. It's slightly I'm not up. kidding. Not I'm not like kidding really. with fresh blackberries. I, I'm like, oh God, I keep saying, please Only don't I'm buy sick. anymore. That's I love my, it so much. My, my Berkeley Farms <laughs> grandmother used to give me when I was sick. Tapioca. tapioca. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's what my grandma would do yeah. for us, too. Tapioca. <laughs> wow, you guys had yeah. when we were set. So, oh, I know we're getting close to yeah. time, but yes. I really wanted to bring up, what about your Clover Junior Challenge? Is that you? Don't you do oh. some kind of a cooking challenge? Oh, that is, I'm sorry. We, there's, there's so many activities going on. <laughs> it was so much fun. We went to the Culinary Institute up in Greystone. Um and we and others, Oliver's Market, a lot of folks supported this effort, but it was really to get kids in school, kind of harkening back to our conversation earlier, how can they make entrees and amazing chefs that help pair with them that taste good, that are good for you? And the feedback from so many of these kids were like, I had no idea. That's what we've been talking about all yeah. hour. Is they were empowered for the first time, they had no idea until they actually did it themselves. It was tangible. They did it. They remember how they did it. And they were able to taste it right then and there. It was awesome. To the be a Starks part of it. one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mark and Terry. Oh nice. Yeah. And others and it and it was just cool to be a small part of seeing it's those little so light bulbs great. go off. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as you know, you have your daughters and my kids and it's a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Um so this was that was cool. Yeah, that was that was a really cool event. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can get you back on the show because I know we could have probably gone on for another hour easily. Yeah. Well, I feel like I've met three new friends. I, yeah, I feel the same way. So. <laughs> You're an old friend though of ours. Yeah. No, yeah. Have sure. you yeah. been? Uh, do you Marcus guys use comes to the restaurant? Oh no, I was oh, wondering yeah, if you yeah, use yeah. Clover, use clover in the restaurants. Oh okay. yeah, especially Mother's forever. Day. 
Boy, yeah. 10 o'clock, Mother's Day. Okay. Exactly. I get a call. Can, can you make sure Marcus has a reservation? Because I'm always the one that's late. <laughs> so we always make sure. Well, I certainly appreciate it. No, we appreciate you. And I, I'm very, very proud to be able to have your products. And we're not a big... Um, put every name on the menu people but we are it is in our mise en place and our staff knows that um where our stuff comes from so i'm very happy to have such a good product and such good backbone well i can't thank you enough and please give tough love as well as positive mm-hmm. affirmation because yeah, we're, you got it we need to continue to be coached Cool. Thank you yeah. guys all very much. Well, let's wrap up the show. Kathleen, um, it sounds like we've planted a seed as far as getting these um, schools funded for some of their yes, garden I projects. Yes, I follow through yeah. and I'd love to have Clover Sonoma so, help and the girl in the fig. If we can just yeah. kind of get that yeah. inertia going, I would be honored to, to throw in oh. 10000 for for oh, the year thank to you. get some foundation going. There you so go. Okay. Yeah. Others oh out there God. are willing to to kind of help I'm, with that I'm challenge. starting to cry. Yeah, let's get yeah. it done. Thank let's do you. It. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Oh, my God. The ladies will be so happy. <laughs> oh, Is it Sonoma Valley? Sonoma County? Sonoma Valley Unified Sonoma School Valley. District. Yeah, and okay. it's the Sonoma School Garden Project. Um, yeah. Nine schools, yeah. public schools. That's great. Um, and that's all it costs so yeah it's thank crazy you. you're yeah. welcome you're covering most of it wow. awesome oh no, we'll i'm, I'm a, tearing up and gasping yeah, so really what generosity aren't thank you glad you, you yeah. showed up today <laughs> i was just looking forward to a very interesting conversation <laughs> <laughs> well and marcus thank i'll look you. forward to seeing I, I don't know if i'll see you at the fair this year or i'll have to when i walk son? up to clo i'll have to say Marcus, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just don't pull first. my tail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be that son of his who wants to get into dairy farming. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, be patient we'll with him. He'll come around to the company. Mm. So what's what is the website? Um, Clover Sonoma. Clover Sonoma. Yeah. Dot com. And okay. there's some. Um, there's I went more clo. Oh. What was the the advertising guy was a friend of my late husband's His name started with an L that did all that uh, Lee Levenger yes yeah. two yeah. L's yeah yeah he was yeah uh, yeah he was a real force my, he and my dad went way back my grandfather and yeah yeah good well we'll have guy. to I mean we love Clo on the signs well Clo has our new contest out we need your billboard ideas. Oh, what? Oh, for the new billboard on yeah. 37? Well, for all everywhere? the billboards, every decade or so, we frankly run out of material. And so the public have been our <laughs> oh best reservoir of You could probably ideas. start at the beginning and recycle them. And, or <laughs> seriously, I, that would be such a great campaign at the schools is like to go to like the second grade teachers or the fifth grade teachers for an art project in mm. the fall. To get people like oh, wow. going up with their new ideas, especially if you're giving them to the school gardens, we will do that. Them, like, milk. That would be like, cool. Kids oh have the God. best ideas. They, really they do. do. They really do. And that, how great to get them talking about milk at school. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, my favorite yeah. so far is Mozart with Chloe uh, playing the piano. I have a billboard that I pass <laughs> almost every day on 101, so I always look forward to them. Well, and if you want to see some cool videos of some of the families that um, that Clover works with, they are available on YouTube. I think if you just search Clover Stornet or Clover Dairies, you could actually, there are interviews with some of the families and you can see they're real people 
and you can see where the cows are. They're out there roaming around. Um, um, if you want to go get some past episodes for The Bike Goes On, you can always uh, go to thebikegoeson.com or you can go to Radio Misfits and search us through there. Shout out to Ed the Podfather. And Sandra. Brian. I'm looking forward to going to Paso next week. I know. Have fun yeah. for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Where uh, are you going? Going to go to Paso Robles and... and um, Taste Oh, for the Paso Robles. Yeah. Uh, I, I was invited by <laughs> uh, someone we both know to go open up wines. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do Fun. That. Yeah. 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 Really and cool. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Always nice to see you. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. And I maybe there's it. a way, uh, especially now, that we can get some of those milk bottles uh, um, over to back to Clover. Let's return them. Oh no! I don't know. If I just want to see you. You I mean the Petaluma Creamery cans? I just love oh, yeah, Marcus. Okay, right. You have to come over sometime. Does, yeah. does, it's not like a. Will library she still get her deposit? You think? <laughs> it's, not like a, it's not like a library book. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, um, I, uh, I didn't pay for any of them. Oh. Okay. But, um, anyway, I'll get them all together and show you. That would Maybe be you fun. Could use one for display or something. I love to yeah, yeah, show a photo. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, in fact, I have a whole, I have old Stornetta crates, you know, the wooden the, ones. The bottle crates yeah. and stuff. So anyway, yeah, me. another time. Love to another see time. You. Thank you so much for including me today. You, guys. Oh, right, you bet. Awesome. Thank you, Great Kathleen. Show. And thank you to all your listeners out there. Please feel free to leave us a review. It always helps us move up in the, in the chain. And if you want to go to uh, uh, Stitcher. Um, or iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio, Himalaya, Himalaya, Saunders, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts please um, and yeah. feel free to leave reviews there for us. Marcus, thank you very much for uh, so for coming fun. in today. Yeah, oh, very nice for to meet you. It was a thrill yeah, for me. Awesome. I mean it. Really all appreciate right. it. <laughs> thank nice. you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.